Charlie Peacock wrote a song called Cheer Up Church as a tribute to a pastor named Jack Miller, um, who planted churches in the United States and around the world, and was a spiritual father and mentor to, uh, to people like other pastors like J.D. Greer and Tim Keller and Steve Brown. And the song, uh, part of the song, uh, says this. It's just like God to make a hero from a sinner. It's just like God to choose the loser, not the winner. It's just like God to tell a story through the weak, to let the gospel speak through the life of man who'll be the first to say, cheer up, church. You're worse off than you think. Cheer up, church. You're standing at the brink. Don't despair and do not fear. Grace is near. It's just like God to make a hero from a sinner. It's just like God to choose the loser, not the winner. It's just like God to tell a story through the week, to let the gospel speak through the life of a man who will be the first to say, cheer up, church. You're worse off than you think. Cheer up, church. You're standing at the brink. Don't despair. Do not fear. Grace is near. Don't despair. Do not fear. Grace is near. The message of that song is at the heart of our sermon series for this Lent series. We want to honestly reflect and have the Word of God kind of reveal in us the, the darkness in us, the stumbling points, the, the sin in us, the sickness that's still there. So that we can not get too self-righteous, too confident in our own, or even feel the stress of trying to do that but that we would cheer up knowing that God meets us right where we are and he has exactly what we need. So as we learn from God's word and have those sins exposed, we have the opportunity then to see how Jesus meets us right where we are and he alone has the answer and solution to those needs, to that brokenness, to that rebellion. And so we're talking about that we just want to be a sheep. We want to be the sheep that stays close to Jesus, the, the sheep that, know, that he knows, and we know his voice, and we follow where he goes. But we want the word of God to expose how we're still wandering sheep, where we just get lost and want to go our own way all the time, so that we confess that and meet Jesus right where he is so he can heal us and make us whole. So tonight, um, we are, as we just sang, uh, going to look at not wanting to be a skeptic. And it's really, a, I don't want to be a Pharisee part two, but I didn't want to sing that verse twice. So uh, um, we're going to look at a passage from Luke chapter 6, uh, verses 6 through 11. Luke records for us that on another Sabbath— he, Jesus, went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man, who's, a man was there whose hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal the man. Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another, 
what they might do to Jesus. So the Pharisees enter. So I'm not sure when you read that account who you identify with in the story. I don't know if you, I don't, does anybody ever identify with Jesus? I was kind of curious about that as I was thinking about it. I, I don't, but it might be possible that some of you do. You don't have to admit it if it's true. Like, it's all good. Um, I don't know that I identify with the man with the shriveled hand necessarily either. I don't like to identify with the Pharisees in the story usually. But as I was reading this account, it just struck me how committed the Pharisees were not to seeing what Jesus might do, but to proving that he was not good, not right. And so they enter this situation, and it just made me think, sometimes I come in to worship like that too. Uh, I'm kind of a skeptic. Uh, <laughs> I can be very open uh, to meeting people right where they are, one-on-one. But put me in a classroom and give somebody a mic and have them start sharing their ideas. And, and I, I just am looking for the ways that they might be saying things wrong. Which is ironic since that's what I do for a living, right? Um, but um, So it struck me that I have in me what the Pharisees had in them that Luke records for us. That they came into this situation not ready to see what Jesus would do, not open to where the Spirit would stretch them and lead them, but instead committed and just hoping that Jesus might heal this man so that they could say, see, he did work on the Sabbath. He's a bad guy. And so we want to uh, kind of reflect on this account and explore uh, what it means to be a skeptic, what we see and learn about that in this passage and uh, what it would mean to be a sheep instead. And one of the things that I noticed is that skeptics use their own understanding as the measure of what's right. The Pharisees were confident in the rules that they had established for how to protect the Sabbath. They knew that God had commanded the Sabbath, that it, though it was a gift uh, to human beings, Just as God had rested on the seventh day, he instructed people to also work six days but have a day of rest where they could just focus on worshiping him, that they could enjoy the rest and the blessing that he wanted to give to them. And also, they they had to prepare for it and plan for it in ways that we don't often practice today because they weren't even supposed to cook on the Sabbath. So they, they had to gather enough food and be prepared ahead of time because it was another reminder that they were actually dependent not on their, themselves but on God himself. So they were supposed to take a break to remind themselves that their work could not satisfy all their needs. They d- needed to depend on God. And so the Pharisees had created these extra rules that went beyond what God had instructed to make sure that the Sabbath would be protected. And so on this particular Sabbath, they're in the synagogue and Jesus arrives 
And they think, okay, we're just going to watch him like a hawk and see what he does wrong so that we can expose him. One of the verses that we read from Acts 17 talked about the Bereans. And it makes it sound like uh, a lot of times when we have that skepticism in us, we might even turn to this passage and think, see, the Bereans, like, they dug into Scripture and they analyzed it and they evaluated. But the difference between the, the Bereans and the, the, people, the Jews in Thessalonica that are compared to, and contrasted in Acts 17. In Thessalonica, we see them acting like skeptics, like these Pharisees did in this account from Luke 6. That Paul came and brought the gospel, and then they formed this riotous response and spoke lies against Paul to try to chase them out of town and overpower them. But in Berea, the believers, now I should say, in Thessalonica, some people believed, some of the Jews believed, some Greeks did, as well as some prominent women. Uh, but there was this mass of Jews who formed a riot and chased them out of town. But in contrast, the Bereans received the message with eagerness and compared, to the message of, compared it to the message of Scripture rather than their own experience, their own expectations, their own comfort and traditions. Second, we see, and this is similar to what we experienced with the Pharisees last week, that skeptics can distort the truth with their hard hearts and their fears. As they're trying to protect their traditions and protect society against falling off a cliff, they get kind of anxious and controlling. And they know that their passion is based on true things. But they start to distort the truth and miss the point. And we can see it because these skeptical Pharisees were so committed to protecting their way of life that this man in distress was simply a pawn in their plan. As we think back to what we talked about last week, they treated this man with an I-it relationship and not an I-thou relationship. They didn't see his need and desire that God would move and do something great for him. They just saw that they wanted to protect their tradition of the Sabbath to make sure everybody knew that Jesus was dangerous if he was not going to follow their rules. And so Jesus challenges them, tries to stretch them, tries to call them out of their confusion and deception to follow him. And he says, what is lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? And so Jesus is trying to help them see that if they mistreat this man in their goals to protect the Sabbath, then they've misunderstood what the Sabbath is about and they've missed the heart of God. That more important than the rules of the Sabbath is to meet God and experience the blessing that he, that he is, that he wants to bestow on us. And Jesus, who is Lord over the Sabbath, helps us see that 
healing someone on the Sabbath is actually a good thing to do, not a bad thing. That it shouldn't be redefined as work. And one of the fascinating things about Jesus in this, and he doesn't always follow the Pharisees' rules, but in this setting, he actually does. He didn't actually physically do anything to heal the man. He just spoke, which isn't against the Sabbath rules. And all the guy did was stretch out his hand, which again is not against the Sabbath rules. And so Jesus actually fulfilled their rules in order to accomplish the good that he wanted to do. And still the Pharisees were just even that more mad. Which reveals that their anger wasn't about righteousness, but about their control. I'll just, I lost my pages, but um, they're, they're all here. They're just in different orders because I do crazy things with my pages. But at any rate, I know what we're talking about. So, um, But instead of being like a skeptic, guarding our traditions against the movement of God— we do want to eagerly receive what God is doing, but we do want to compare it not to our traditions, but to Scripture. As we hear of God stirring in some new way, does this actually match not our expectations and our traditions that we, we've come to assume are based on Scripture, but what God actually opens us up to in Scripture? While we didn't expect it and we thought it might be against the rules, is there a way, is there something in the word of God that actually opens us up to this? We want to test that and see what's true and right. So as sheep, we admit our fear of change and lack of understanding. And we trust God to do more than we understand or imagine. Like the noble Bereans, who, also, who had the same traditions as the riotous Jews in Thessalonica, right? They were prepared to guard their traditions in the same way, but instead the Bereans said, let's experience this. Let's hear what Paul has to say about the gospel, and let's weigh that against what God has told us in his word, not what we've come to expect in the way we've lived previously. Because maybe God is doing something new and something powerful. Maybe God can move among us in a new way. And also as sheep, we want to speak truth from a place of vulnerability and not self-righteousness. You see, Scripture is clear. There are times that we're supposed to rebuke and correct one another. We come with grace and truth. God's truth is true all the time. And there are times that we need to be challenged by it. We need to hear it. and We need to find out that the way we're living is messed up. But we don't do that from a position of power like we've never made those mistakes. And even if it's we're 
working with somebody, we're talking with somebody who's struggling with a sin that we've never experienced, and we just think, how could you ever think this was a challenging thing? It's so simple for me. But we don't come from that position. Instead, we say, well, in what ways have I stood before Jesus as a person with a shriveled hand? How has my own sin and rebellion defeated me in a way that only Jesus has solved? And as we approach this person with a different kind of sin in their life, we come near them and say, not, you shouldn't ever think like that, but instead, this can, obviously this is a struggle for you. And I've had struggles like that too, but what I've found is that God declares his love for me even when he tells me really hard things. And we want to take seriously the things that God tells us, both the hard truths and his powerful grace. And so we come before people not out of pride or self-righteousness, not out of our own strength, but out of the testimony of how Jesus is the one who instructs us to stretch out our hand and makes it whole. Our sin, in all its forms, leaves us as powerful, uh, as powerless and despairing as this man with the shriveled hand. But Jesus, in order to make it clear for everyone, asked him to stand up in front of everyone so that everyone would see what Jesus alone is capable of. And he said, stretch out your hand. And the man did. It was fully restored. As we come before the Lord broken in our own sin, we get to be the sheep who stay close to Him. Our sin causes us to wander. But when we hear His voice call to us, and we turn to Him, He alone can make us whole. He alone is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when we experience it, we know there's nothing like it. And we don't want to run from it. We want to stay close. We want other people to experience the wonder of being that close to Jesus where we experience the depth of his love for us, even while he exposes the darkness of our sin. That as scary as it is to be that close to Jesus, he invites us to be safe in his presence because he has taken away our sin. He's restored us and given us life. Jesus addresses this challenge of the skepticism versus the humility of, 
and brokenness and repentance of being the sheep who responds to his voice. In Luke 6, 37 through 45, uh, just a few verses past this passage, Jesus talks to us about how when we challenge each other, we don't want to try to pick a speck out of somebody else's eye while we've got a plank sticking out of our own that might hit them while we just turn our head. You know, we want to make sure we're paying attention to the sin in our own lives before we address the sin in other people. And when we recognize how weighty our sin is, when we recognize how broken we are, then we're more equipped to help other people deal with their sin because we're not telling them what to do with it apart from pointing them to Jesus to say, when you come to him, he'll tell you the truth about everything you need to know. But he can solve it. And he's the only one who can. In Luke chapter 7, 22 and 23, uh, Jesus is responding to a question that John the Baptist's disciples bring to him. John was struggling with his own version of doubt and skepticism as he was in jail awaiting execution, struggling with the fact that he had been called to pave the way for Jesus to come and bring this new work that would set people free. And he was kind of wondering, if I'm the one who's, well, I, Luke doesn't actually record this for us exactly this way, but it's how I interpret what John is wrestling with. It's how I would feel. <laughs> He's like, well, if I'm the one who's supposed to pave the way, like, and you're, supposed to, and you're coming to be our rescuer, the one we've been waiting for, the one who makes all things right, then why am I still in jail? Why am I still struggling? And so he sends some guys to, to ask Jesus that. And at that very time, Jesus had cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen, and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus invites us to see that whatever we are struggling with, whatever anyone else is struggling with, he alone is the solution. They don't have to change their ways in order to make us happy. They don't have to do what we want. But if they want to be rescued, they can only find that hope, that promise in Jesus. But he's here and eager to do what we need. We want to be a sheep, not a skeptic. A sheep who stays close to Jesus and knows his voice. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you tonight and we acknowledge that we 
we have this skeptic in us. Maybe not all of us. I know I do. We have this instinct to protect ourselves, to protect our traditions, to protect our reputations, and to lash out at people who seem to threaten it. Sometimes, we do that even in your name. We think we're protecting you. We're motivated to protect you. Sometimes we just do it sinfully, in our own strength, in our own way, with our own understanding, and so we confess it to you, Lord. We don't want to be skeptics who are trying to pin you into a box or to set other people up for failure. We want to be sheep rescued by you. We want to be witnesses and testifiers to the mighty work and gracious work that you can do in us. We want to be humble, contrite. We want to be repentant, vulnerable. We want to be open and honest. We want to be witnesses of who you are and what you can do. So we pray that you'd do that in us. You'd convict us of our sin, our pride, and our self-righteousness. And that we would hear you say, stretch out your hand. And you would make our hearts whole. In Jesus' name.